Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Speed Series episodes are straight to the point, no BS answers to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question and want it answered, submit your question using the link in the description. Thanks for listening, and good luck this season. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude Speed Series Q&A. Today on the show, I have David Riley. David, thanks for uh, hopping on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. You've been uh, doing a real good job here over on the uh, In Sessions podcast, bud. Yeah, thank you. You know, I listen to you and Aaron over on the fall all the time, and I'm taking tips from you guys, so <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, you guys helped me get set up with all this gear yeah. and then some tips and tricks because you guys have, you know, done it before me, so really appreciate that. But uh, let's jump right into the question, man. We're going to keep this thing short and sweet, so... The question is on Instagram. It's by TQSmith22. It's a great question. With states beginning to ban trail cameras on public land and rumors of other states following suit, would this affect your scouting strategy for early season bucks? If so, how? Man, so let's just... You want to go in-state or out-of-state first? Let's start with in-state. Okay. So in-state, it it will change some, no doubt, because, you know, I've been running trail cameras for a decade maybe a decade plus now, you know, but, uh, for, for the early season, if you, if you really had to take them away, it may not be as hard on you at that point, you know, because all summer long, you're glassing and you're scouting, you're out, you're out checking tracks where like you're getting, you're still getting visuals on, on some of these bucks, you know, like you can see them and, you know, some spots, some spots, you know, you have that chance at, you know, say early September, middle of September and early October, where if you spent some time behind the glass, you could still be very deadly even without a trail camera. But as soon as those deer start getting pressure, boy, that whole glassing spot stuff, especially for me in Michigan, as soon as that pressure hits, you can pretty much forget about seeing those deer out in those fields. You know, a lot of uh, green fields, the beans, the alfalfa, and I mean, some sometimes, you know, you'll have like a like a shorter corn, you know what I mean? So some some of the stuff I've seen in Michigan, like they they actually grow popcorn for like movie theaters and stuff, and they'll be a little bit shorter, and you can see bucks in there. 
but for uh yeah for at home it would it would change how i would have to do things it would probably just i already spent a lot of time glassing i'd maybe have to double or triple that in hopes of you know being able to catch up to one early season because you know if if i've done my homework right in the off season scouting and then i glass one up on a particular piece my homework scouting should tell me where I need to be early season on him. A trail camera picture just to verify basically how big he is in the summertime. But yeah, that that's me. How about you, man? So you answered it great. And I agree with a lot of what you said. And just for the listeners that don't know, you're from Southern Michigan, right? So yep. it's going to be yep. ag country mixed yep. with like some wood lots and stuff like that where glassing is huge. Yeah. And I kind of grew up where I had the ability to glass a lot more. Now being down in the hills, it's a lot more difficult. Like, oh yeah, unless I have a brand new clear cut or I have some sort of, you know, opening or like an ag field that they are coming to, it's just really hard to get in there and glass those deer without boogering them up. So, so for me, it's going to be really specific on what my goals are too. If I'm after a specific deer, it makes it really difficult yeah. because all of a sudden you're like trying to chase that deer around. But if you're after a good buck, I feel like it, it's a lot easier because you can just go in and you can have just woodsmanship and read sign, get in the right location and put the pieces together on a good deer. Yeah. You know, like I can get in a system, go down to the bottom, like, okay, the scrape's open. Mm -hmm. There's big tracks, there's big rubs in here and there's a white oak flat dropping. Without cameras, I don't know if it's a 120 inch deer, 170 inch deer, whatever it is. But like, if my thought process is just, I want a good buck, I, I'm going to go in there and I could probably figure out a way to kill that deer. It gets really difficult when you're like, I want to kill the biggest deer that I can find. You know, it's almost at that point, it's like, you're probably going to be passing a lot of deer without cameras. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so yeah, so that's how I look at it. I would say that I would spend as much time glassing as I could. Like I do a lot of glassing anyways, man. Like I get cameras up early June through like early July. And every single night I put the family in the car, we go get ice cream or like go get pizza or something. We just drive around yeah. looking for deer and glassing. So I utilize that already quite a bit. I might do, if I didn't have cameras, I might do more in-field glassing. Yeah. Like throwing the camo on in the summer and going out with a spotting scope and just trying to get close to deer. So yeah. yep. that's uh, that's how I would do it for like a specific deer. How do you feel about, about that? Like the specific chase versus just a chase for a good buck? Well, you know, a chase for the good buck, it, you know, it's, I, I don't want to sit here and say that it's it's easier or one of, you know, or chasing a specific buck is easier, but... I, you know, the, the years that I have chased one particular deer, Jake, I feel like I've learned so much more from those years than just chasing, you know, like a certain caliber of deer. I love chasing one specific buck. Like it's just, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like, and especially in the summertime, like if I'm honed in on him all summer, I feel like I'm in the game all the time, unless I lose him, you know, but that's see that's the, you know like the whole trail camera stuff chasing one specific buck to just chase and say a, a caliber of buck that's where that trail camera is so deadly because it's telling you what kind of deer it is yeah, you know because, exactly like you said with the track stuff a lot of what i'll do in the summertime i've learned areas whether they're road crossings they're low spots in a farmer's field i i this is funny i have a permission on a piece i cannot hunt it but it's a neighboring piece to a spot i can hunt and it has like a swale that goes out to a field. Sometimes it's on a corn rotation. Sometimes it's on a bean rotation. All I want to use that piece for in the summertime is check tracks. Yeah. Now we all have, we all can tell what a big track is, 
but we just can't tell what it's on his head. You know what I mean? Unless they have a very unique, you know, a chipped off hoof or something like that. But man, I think, I think going out in the summertime and glassy, when you're looking for one specific animal and you find him, it's, it's freaking deadly, dude. But those cameras, they're just verifying exactly what bucket is. You know what I mean? Because like you said, you, you could have, you could be on all these tracks. All these tracks are in the scrape. The scrape's getting pounded. And if your goal is, and, and, you know, yes, it's just a number, but let's say your goal is, I want to shoot a 160-inch deer. The tracks could look like that, but without a true picture, there could be 12 130s in there. Still could be mature, but they're just not what your goal is. And, that, and kind of spinning your wheels, right? 100%. A <laughs> little bit of wasting time, you know, but yeah, so that's that's how I look at a lot of it. And when you talked about being in the hills compared to like where I'm at in Michigan for glassing, that is so situational. And like I went down to Kentucky early season one time, like the opening weekend. And I had this thought, like I, I wasn't even going to go scout. I'm just going to go jump in the truck. Let's go blind hunt. It, no cameras or anything, and it took me all of about one hour of being around there, just driving, getting familiar with the place, and realizing my tactics would be so trail camera heavy to get on, if I lived here to get on an early season buck, because the glassing opportunities, say down in Kentucky, are a hell of a lot different than what mine are here in Michigan. So situational, you know. You go to the UP, you're not going to be out glassing deer all every night, you know. That that's big wood stuff, but yeah. And when you talked about getting out getting out of the truck i i love that so much that's so deadly i actually i'll prep kind of like hidden locations in the off season almost set up you know brings it back to like being a kid like building a fort with like sticks and branches i'll set up certain areas in the off season knowing in the summertime i want to go glass those locations you know but glass them in the summertime like that though you have such a short window those first few days for that to actually even pay off. So yeah, it's, it's very situational. It definitely is. So jump into out of state, yep. you know, we're both going to be chasing bucks in different States this year. We both drew yep. Kansas, which yeah. is going to be awesome. Let's go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. 100%. So how does your out of state approach change if you take trail cameras out of the equation, like for Kansas? And, mm-hmm. you know, I look at, I went and scouted Kentucky. I've scouted a bunch of different States this spring mm-hmm. and I'm running cameras in all of those so far except for Kansas. And I'm not even, to be honest with you, I'm not even going to go out there and put boots on the ground. And a lot of that, you know, if I could put cameras, I might take a trip out there. But without being able to do that for me, it's like I can go out there and like find tracks right now and stuff and scout. But I don't know what type of intel I'm going to gain from that, especially for a rut hunt, right? And so like, what is your thought process knowing that you are going into A, a state that you could run cameras, and then we'll get into Kansas a little bit because we can't run cameras there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, let's just say back in 2020, I went to Iowa, you know, and no one, well, Iowa is kind of an anomaly because it's it's so hard to draw the tag. So I spent multiple scouting trips out there. We did the camera stuff out there. We knew, I mean, it's one of those things, it's like going to Kansas. You know, there's going to be a big deer around there. That's just part of that, that area of the country. So we spent time running trail cameras you know did we did we kill a deer where any of the trail cameras were no but it gave us a really good idea of like what kind of caliber of buck we could be shooting out there but for kansas i'm the same as you i'm not going out scouting at all can't run trail cameras out there but for me when i go out of state like i have there's a part of me that feels like i should be more efficient 
hunting my own home state because I'm putting so much time in it. I should have it way more dialed than anything out of state unless I'm going out of state to one particular spot for multiple years. So the trail camera part don't really bother me because I know there's a deer out there that's gonna that would make me happy. And say like, for instance, I'm going for 10 days. I have no problem, you know, not hunting the first two, three, four days and just scouting. But it's like, I'm just looking for like a type of buck. I'm not looking for a particular buck, you know. It's, you know, if you went to Kansas and you truly said, I, I'm only going to shoot something 150 or bigger. That's tough to do. It's tough because you don't even know if that place has, is there a chance? Yes, it's Kansas, right? But it's so tough to even know if one lives there. You know what I mean? <laughs> really? Or maybe if there was, if you found sign that you thought one lived there, but he was shot, shot a week before you even got there, you know? So it's, when I go out of state, it's going to be more of like a, just a, one, the experience and more of like, if he tests the eye pass when I see him, that's what's, that's what's going to happen. He's going to get shot, you know? So I'm not too worried about not being able to run trail cameras when I'm out there. I would like to though. I, I won't lie. Like I'm going out there 10 days. I would have liked to be able to, you know, take five or six cameras and take those first days and go pop them in spots where like, you know, say if I get a, an odd weather day on day five or six of hunting and I haven't killed yet, then I can go pop in those other spots and just check the cameras, see what they're doing, see what kind of deers may be on there, you know, but what, what do you think about it? So I like what you just said there. And the other thing that you could do with that, in, that Intel as well is like use it as annual data. You oh, know, sure. you're going to be out there during the rut. So if you, if you could use cameras, the way that I'm envisioning that happening for me, if I could, is I'm going to go out, I'm going to plop a bunch of cameras up in some different areas and I'm just going to go hunt. And I'm really probably not going to utilize those too much unless I get in a pinch. But when I'm done hunting, if I kill or if my trip ends or anything else, I'm going to go pull those cameras, log all that data. Mm-hmm. And then in the pre, in the future years, when I draw that tag again, I'm like, yeah, I have a really good starting point because yeah. I have even a, even a week of Intel during the rut could be killer in Kansas, man. I mean, oh, sure. because you're just looking for like, in my opinion, I'm looking for a good pinch near good cover and bedding yeah. that nobody else is hunting. So like a camera is going to verify that pretty quick during the rut especially Kansas because there's it's really high pressured. I feel like the biggest thing, it's almost like reading people too. The biggest thing to get away from there is just people. Once you do that, the deer will show up if you ask me. Yeah. That's yeah. the that's the number one factor. So it it kind of sounds like we're very similar and we're both we would both balance different things and the things I'm looking at are you're balancing your woodsmanship and everything else with your expectations of what you want to kill. Mm-hmm. And that's like when I, every time I have this conversation, I've talked about it on our podcast already. So I hope it's not overly redundant, but if you take trail cameras out of my strategy, I'm going out and I'm having fun and killing good bucks. Yeah, Like that chase for that giant completely disappears immediately because you have to manage your expectations. It's just not in my head. I don't feel like it would be I'm not that good of a hunter where it's going to be realistic for me to go out and chase a giant deer, a very specific deer year after year and be efficient in a bunch of different states without trail cameras. Yes. You know, that's the way that I look at it. Yeah. And you could look at, you know, I haven't done a ton of out of state hunting. You know, I, my, my, my daughters are getting older now. So the opportunities to start traveling more, those are starting to come. But, you know, say over the last kind of decade when I've kind of really wanted to change, you know, the, my style of hunting and the, you know, caliber of deer I wanted to, you know, hunt that. So the out of state is kind of new to me. Right. But I quickly can see the out of state stuff almost being like a three-year process. And, and you, and you nailed it with talking about like, 
or let's say you go to Kansas and you don't even kill one, whether you kill or don't, but you have all the information at the end to take that back next year. I mean, when you said that, it made me think about like all the spots I had hung cameras in Iowa. I know the next time I draw one of those spots, I'll have a camera there again because it was that good. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's such a process. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, whether it's, you know, cell cams and killing deer with them, this and that. But for me, the like the use of uh, like not cell cams, but trail cameras in general, it's such a historical data information piece for me. And that that would also play along with that out-of-state stuff. Like that would be historical data for the years to come. And you could just keep building on it. And it's it sucks that like to me in Kansas that we can't because it's like we're, we're traveling to go there. You know, like we're taking time away from our family, spending money, and we're going for such a short window that it's just like we're trying to be as efficient as we can. And it's like, yeah, it might not help us this year, but it could have helped us in the years to, to come, just an area. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, I, I, let me ask you this. Do you think, this is a fun question, a little bit of rabbit hole here. Do you think trail camera data right now or historical date trail camera data? is more important on hunting one specific buck, let's just say in your home state. So what's the time of year? You can pick it, but let's say in October. Like, you know, would you rather have historical information about that deer, you know, like say on a certain scrape, or would you rather have like instant information from a trail camera on that deer? So if it's in October, for me, I would I would really want, because because the food sources are shifting so much and they're just so sporadic year from year, and this is going to be very situational, yeah. but I would say that I would rather have the real-time data. If I knew that I was going to have consistent food sources year after year, I would rather have the historical data because you know that they're good, there's going to be a draw there to pull those deer in. Like I can look at the, like Southern Ohio is a great example of this because the acorns have been really sporadic the last few years. And, you know, I'll get into a system that is just dynamite one year and it's got a giant deer in there. It's got multiple mm-hmm. big bucks. Like I'm talking four or five mature bucks in a... 300 acre hub like it's just loaded with deer the next year i'll go in there and run cameras and there's nothing because there's no acorns at all so like they will shift their patterns completely so i would i would look at it like the one thing i'll say about the historical data in the hills is when i get the food source i need again i do go back and look at that data Mm -hmm. so it's we're going down a really good rabbit hole here i love this (laughs) but like when you're when you're keeping that those pictures and like correlating all that data you know obviously time of year obviously like wind direction i like to also label food sources that are active at the time so like i got this buck on this scrape this three out of five days second week of october because there was white oaks dropping in here yep so i know in my head if i glass that deer in a bean field in the summer or if i get them on camera somewhere in that system if i go in there and that white oak has acorns on it and it's going to drop in my head i'm thinking okay here's the historical data that's going to pay off so i if you ask me, like it's such a it's such a great question, but I think you have to utilize all of that as much as possible. Oh, sure. How do you feel? Yeah, I uh, it's 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 so situational, like we always talk about, right? Like I feel like almost every question we could ever talk about on a podcast is so situational. You know, like what your piece on the north side of the road is different than the piece on the south side of the road, right? Kind of thing. But I uh, I think kind of like that. You know, let's say like that most recent information is almost the most important in the very beginning of the season. But as the season kind of rolls on, I'm starting to like, I want, I'm, I start like shifting towards the historical data side. But, 
you know, and it, it takes it takes time, you know, like history, it, that means it takes time, like historical data, when I start, when I'm starting to see the most important, like that historical data coming in play, it's not one year of trail camera data or visuals, it's not two, when I start getting into like year three or four, in really nailing down like spots with historical data, it's it's a lot because of what you said, food. Okay, if I went through three or four years, I've probably kind of went through each food rotation, if it's in farm ground or acorn rotation, or, you know, if it, there's a clear cut, whatever the case may be where you come from. But so I've been kind of logging what kind of food we got going on in there for three or four years of trail camera data in a historical spot. I, I'm a big like three to four day window person. That's the hardest part though, in my opinion finding those three to four day windows on specific spots. And then you'll start learning those specific spots when you start getting a mature mature deer, like four or five year old plus, then he becomes, he plays into that historical data with the historical data on the specific spot, you know, but that takes years, right? And like, I want a catalog of those. Yeah. And, you know, but that's years of learning that, like you start with one, right? Okay, I found this one. Then I got another one where like now I'm, you know, with the historical data thing, pretty much each kind of like four to five day window of the season, like October one through four, then say eight through 12. Like I want to have spots for each of those different ones, like I'm all across different counties because I, I should be able to find them in with historical data, trail camera usage or visuals, kind of learn those and piece those together. But that doesn't happen overnight, though does not happen overnight you know but um in another fun thing is do you think with you know like a specific buck i think as the season goes on if you're hunting one specific buck the historical data is more important than like if you're hunting a specific let's say antler range of buck i think that you know most recent information is the most important as the season goes on. Like, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah, like if you're hunting, if you just want to hunt one animal down and you know the animal, you've known them for years, I think the historical data is so, so deadly on him. I do too. And where I really see that shine in the hills and, you know, I'm, I'm still building this catalog and like to, to circle back real quick, I think that any good investment you're you're not going to see the returns at first, right? Yep. And it's going to take time, but you have to really trust that process. And building trail camera data and historical data in general is an investment. Oh man! And it's one that you might not see is valuable at first, so you might not want to do it. But I do think that it pays dividends five, ten years down the road if you stay in those areas. And like, so I'm looking forward to that in the hills of Ohio. Where mm-hmm. like, I'm on year five this year. Yeah. But I think around like year ten, year fifteen, like you're talking about, like as that pools up. And I see all these cycles of food sources play into effect a couple times. I'm going to be able to look at that and go, okay, there's yep. some hot spots here, right? So, so I just wanted to point that out though, that, that, that investment of time, even though it might not seem like it's going to be applicable the next season, I think if you do that and you just log all that data and you have that information, you're going to look back on what you did five or 10 years later and you're going to be like, man, I'm really glad that I, that I kept all that data and, you know, took the extra time to really figure it out. Yeah, but, no, uh, no doubt, dude. I I agree with that one hundred percent, dude. Yeah. So so to get back into your question there, I I completely agree with you, and I think that from what I'm seeing in the hills, and I'm I try to be, I try to always point that out so people in like the prairie aren't listening to this and yeah. being like, okay, Jake's saying to do this. Like in the hills, what I'm seeing is that I have uh, 
a lot of historical data in the rut that's mm-hmm. very accurate and yeah. it's it's the same windows you're talking about like yeah. my eyes kind of get got big when you said like that four day window i can look at a lot of different hubs that i've ran cameras in in the last four years in ohio that they like there's four day windows they just heat up man mm-hmm. Like I've got one, my buddy went in there and actually killed a deer based off of some of this data. Sure. Came down from Michigan. He sat in a tree for two hours. Yeah. We've got, we've got it on film and everything, but that area just for whatever reason, and it's got clear cuts in it and stuff that kind of hold does throughout the year. So like when you have a, a food source that's always available, I think that this was really a good tactic. Mm-hmm. So those clear cuts are a constant food source for those does. And then there is a lot of acorns in there that'll drop. So even if you don't have the acorns, you still have clear cuts. Yep. And on the back side of these ridges, you have eggs. So they always kind of live there. But there's a doe group in there that gets hot like October 29th through 30th. And those deer will be in there till like November 4th or 5th. And they will hit these hub scrapes in there and run these ridges every single day all day i had a 160 two years ago it was heck, three years now but 2020 that so i'll tell the story i don't think i've told the story in a podcast yet okay. it's a really good one here so, we go so drew comes down and we get him set up in this system and i i had went in and checked a bunch of cameras in the couple days prior to this just to try to get him in a good like i wanted to be like hey man you're coming down for a two-day trip he, like this is a good starting point for you and so so he took that starting point and he just died he killed it right yeah. he like, went in and killed it but but uh so i checked those cameras and it was starting to heat up and the year passed the area heated up the same way and so i knew i was like all right they're in here and yeah. we have an opportunity so he went in i actually i'd been hunting my butt off like crazy and uh i was taking a nap in the parking lot on the other side of the wma like i was sleeping yeah. And I wake up to a phone call. He's like, hey, man, I just shot one. I'm like, what? It's <laughs> Let's nine, go. It's 930, dude. I was like, I was jacked up. Yeah. So drive over there and we're in the bottom of the system. Now, he was in the tree and he had this, I mean, probably, it's on video on the YouTube. It's, okay. uh, it's probably like a 150-inch buck nice. come down out of the clear cut behind him. And he's sitting in the tree in a saddle and it came down behind him. He looked back at 20 yards and it's staring at him. And so that deer busts back up through the clear cut and he got some pretty good video yeah. running off. But, uh, so now he's all fired up, right? Sure. Like he's like, yeah. he, he just saw the biggest deer of his life. He's yeah. a Michigan boy that just came down. He's like, what the heck was that thing? It's a, <laughs> that sounds, have, that sounds about right for Michigan. That, that all the guys, they get yeah. that one taste of it. There's dinosaurs down here. So, <laughs> so, uh, so he turns back around and not a couple blinks of the eye later, he looks up and he sees tines coming down through the drainage, just yeah. right to the hub scrape that he set up on. And this deer comes in quarter into it like 12 yards and yeah. he just smokes it. Just smoke and it runs 30 yards and dies in front of him. But, uh, you know, he called me. I go over there. We gut it out. We take it back. We go to the gas station. We're all excited. Get everything, you know, tag filled out and everything called in. And we decide that night, hey, let's go back in and get on the back side of that system. Because I had a really big 12 point in there, like a giant 12 yeah. point. And uh, so... We go right down the trail that he killed his deer on. We go up on the hub scrape. He killed his deer a hundred yards away from the scrape. And we were hooting and hollering, high five mm-hmm. and taking videos, like just having a blast yeah. in the system, right? So we get up to the hub scrape and I had a camera elevated in the tree, probably 10 or 12 feet up that I hadn't checked in like three days at this point. And I was like, I was like, I looked at him. I was like, should we check that? And I was like, this is like, I'll never do this again. Yeah. I'm there, right? I'm standing by this camera and I go, nah, we're not going to check it. Let's go to the backside of this ridge. Yeah. So, we hop up over the backside of the ridge and hunt a saddle on the backside of that cut, assuming those deer 
would push that way. Sure. But it's a rut frenzy, man. These yeah. deer don't care apparently yeah. because we walked up over that saddle and a half hour later that giant 12 point. He's down He's there. working the oh. hell out of that scrape <laughs> that we were going to set up on. Yeah. But in my head, I was like, we, he killed a deer a hundred yards right. from there an hour and a half ago or two hours ago. Yeah. And like, what is that deer doing? Yeah, so right. like, if we would have just, you know, did a little more due, dil- due diligence, we would have, uh, we would have had an opportunity at that deer. But yeah, that was just a spot that every year I yeah. ran a camera in there every year. And every year there's a window of opportunity in that area and it's always really good bucks. Yeah. And so that's in the back of my head. So like, same thing as you, I want a catalog of those. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I build up like let a bunch of those in different states and different counties in my state yeah. and just try to like, like if you can, I feel like if you could have those four day windows yep. based on historical data, just throughout the season, exactly, you're going to be really, really efficient. Exactly. And you made a good point there. And you, I maybe even didn't notice that you said this, but I'm so glad you did because this, this will be great for the listeners. You made a point that there's a doe group in that area. And as much as we're sitting here talking about specific bucks and mature bucks or a certain caliber of buck, historical data also is important with doe groups because your story right there, I think when you're when you're watching historical data with like scrapes and the good scrapes, you know, for you like hub scrapes, for me like just you know big community scrapes right outside of like swamp bedding kind of thing, you got to know the does in the area because. Part of me believes that's some of the biggest factors of those three to four day windows. And over the years, they're like, I'll give you an example for one spot. And uh, I, w- I would have never really known this without running a camera on it. It's this is going to be year eight running that this tree gets a camera every year, no matter what. It's going to sound far fetched, but there's part of me that believes about what I'm, I'm going to say here is October 14th through 19th. Okay, giant, just a giant community scrape right outside, extremely good buck bedding. And it's not just one buck, this is a long swamp. There's multiple buck beds in it. Some are better than the other. Like there's king lays here, then all his other people lay here kind of thing. But I don't see a lot of does in there. They'll work through there, but they don't really bed in there. This scrape, like clockwork, it'll be October 14th through 19th. There will be a doe. I, so you, if I run on a trail camera on video mode, a doe will walk in here and like clockwork for every day during that time, the biggest buck that lives in that square mile will be right on her. I believe that she's going into heat like the, that date range, middle of October, and she's swooping down there and grabbing like the biggest buck and pulling him out of there. Really? Yeah, dude, it's like, I could show you, I could show you videos afterwards and it's just like, are you, are you kidding me? Like year in, year out. And, you know, I can't tell if it's a specific doe. I mean, it looks kind of the same each year. She is just a mammoth of a doe. Like she, who knows how old she is. But like clockwork, it happens, dude. And I'm I'm just convinced because it's like we're this right outside the buck bedding. Like she's not spending time in there. Like what is she doing? Like when they walk into the trail cam video, like that screen, they are exiting it and immediately hitting the scrape. She she walks right through the scrape and he just is following her like a puppy dog. For it'll be it'll be that four or five days, middle of October, like clockwork every year. The biggest buck in that square mile will bed in there. And she will pull that buck out of there like clockwork. And I think she just wants to be like, she's, she's, she's the first one. 
that wants to be Brad. Like she's she's going into heat, you know. But that's like if you learn that historical data, just about like I learned it about that spot, but I also learned it about that doe. You know what I mean? And I know like I've, my scouting's told me the best buck will bet in here until like maybe I mess it up or other hunters mess it up. But yeah, it's it's if you could if you can get that information on a doe, it's just as deadly just as deadly so that's that's very interesting man and so i so a question for you okay so take trail cameras out of the equation mm-hmm. how do you build that historical data on the doe groups and you would have to uh in my opinion you'd have to visually be seeing it you know like you would have to be you know your time in the field the time in a tree like you would have to be seeing that you know like you can really watch if you studied when you're finding fawns and you, you go back to, I think it's like 199 days or 201 days. You could kind of figure out when they're bred, but you would have to be seen it. Otherwise, you 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 just wouldn't know. Like you could, you can scout, like I scouted and found that scrape, but like without seeing it in person, it's like, not, I'm not going to be able to learn those three to four day windows, you know, where it's like that, that's where, like you said, like to me, that that is where trail cameras are deadly is the historical data on those windows but like we talked about you know in a, we live in a world where people want results overnight this doesn't happen overnight yeah it could it could it could happen on year one but you watch if you if you you know put your effort into it over four five six years and really learn find those spots that's when it pays dividends and that's when that's when you become extremely efficient where it's like okay i killed i only hunted seven days this year and i killed my buck you know what i mean but it's like you know, you, you didn't hunt seven days straight. You knew spot A, this window's going to open. If this doesn't work out, next week's spot B over here, this window should be open here, you know, but that takes years of catalog. But yeah, the, you know, the whole historical data without trail cameras, I the only way I, I would really truly think it could be done is visually seeing it happen. It's the most inefficient thing I can think of hunting wise where like we don't really realize how good we have it with cameras like yeah. the more i'm sitting here having this conversation with you i'm running cameras in 50 different systems yeah and then out of state 30 different systems and i'm gaining 50 to 30 times the amount of data that i would have if i was out there just spending time in the oh, woods sure. right but you know last week i had ryan glitzky on and ryan said something that was really cool and it really resonated with me and I asked him, you know, how do you get good at doing all this? Like finding all these little travel corridors and all this sign and like dissecting these minute things that I look at and I really don't see. And he looked at me and he goes, it's it's time in the woods, man. Yeah. It's 30 years. I've spending a lot of days in the woods. And I think that the, like, if I look at this from the 10,000 foot view, I say, okay, take trail cameras away. And I still want this data and I still want to be the best hunter I can be. The only way that you're going to pull that off and the only way you're going to get better is just plain and simple, spending time in the woods. Yeah, There's a lot to be said about that because that doesn't mean going out and hunting every day necessarily, but that is like, say that I'm waiting on a buck, right? And I know a buck and I'm glassing and I'm waiting for the right conditions and I don't have the right conditions that day. Well, maybe if I don't have cameras, I go out in a different spot, not expecting to kill a deer just to observe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm just going to go through an observation set in a totally different area just to learn and then it's an it's that investment thing again yes. right like i'm gonna i'm gonna work on my investment in a different spot just to try to l- just watch deer like what are the does doing is there any bucks in here where's where, like what's actually happening in the system and then when i get the right conditions i'll go try to kill my deer again so yep. i would have a to- like a, a much different process yeah for sure and even with the trail camera stuff like to be really good with with running trail cameras it still takes time in the woods right yeah. you know like you're, I think you and I are probably a lot alike in this essence. We're like, 
we have trail camera spots that we're going to go put cameras over all summer long here. I've already kind of picked those out in my head. Hell, some of these spots, I've already prepped the trees. So when I have to go in there next month and put a camera up there, it's just putting a camera up there and getting out of there. But it's like, I didn't, I don't just go out in the summertime and say, stumble across. I'll go, hey, I should put a trail camera here. No, because that sign right now isn't going to look like what I want that trail camera to see. That trail camera is going to see the sign because I scouted that information back in the off season. That's why that trail camera is going to be there, you know. And, and I tell you what, this is one thing that drives me crazy. You see guys run trail cameras, right? And guys, they are a tool, okay? They, they're helping. Are they making us more efficient? They definitely are. Are they keeping me? Are they letting me have more time at home with my family? They definitely are, right? But here's one thing, guys. If you are going to spend the money on a trail camera, an SD card, uh, batteries, all that stuff, make sure you're doing a damn good job with them. Let them work for you. They are a tool. Don't like, don't half-ass your cameras. Like, dial those things in. It, you know, like, it don't don't expect your results to be immediately this year. It's a long game. This is a long, this is a process. This is why we love the process, right? Like, I don't want it all to happen just tomorrow, right? Like, I, I want to go out there and, like, earn it. You know what I mean? That's how I look at, like, trail cameras. You know, like, I those things are tools. I want them to work for me. But that also means I need to take care of them also, you know, but yeah. 100%. Yeah. I love that, man. <laughs> well, hey, we could talk about this all day. Uh, we're going to keep this to the Speed Series yep. Q&A, so... Man, this has been a great conversation. I definitely am going to have you on a bunch. I can cool. see that we could sit here and have multi-hour yeah, sure. conversations over <laughs> and over. So, uh, where can people find out more about you? Oh man, I uh, you know I got Facebook, but I don't. I just kind of keep that to the family stuff. But uh, just over, just over on Instagram, uh, it's uh, I think my it's D Riley Juniors my Instagram, and uh, you just could. That's pretty much just a flavor of my life. You know, hunting, kids, family. That's about it, buddy. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Jake. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review, and we'll see you next week. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.